this week's edition of the Magic Hour here at the Forum Club at The Athletic. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Uh, and Andy, very excited to set aside our normal show uh, in this week of of very heavy news and basketball happenings. Um, There's a lot of big stuff that happened with the Lakers uh, over the last week since we last recorded, but I still feel like it can hold. Right. We'll get to it next week if we have to. Um, this week we are participating instead in the, the athletic, very cool project this week, celebrating the hundred greatest sports movies ever made. Um, and this is our contribution to that. We're going to be going through this list. Um, some obviously fantastic movies, you and I just big movie guys, big sports movie guys. So, um, this is to me at least Andy, and I don't want to speak, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I like talking about this more than the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this is a nice uh, change of pace. When we heard about this being done with The Athletic, I don't want to say that we basically volunteered ourselves, then bullied ourselves into this uh, series and said, we're going to do something. But that's kind of how it happened. Yeah, I don't know how else to, to, to finish that sentence. Yeah. I mean, we basically just said, we are in find a way to make us in. Otherwise, we're just going to throw ourselves into it. And because let's be honest, we're the kind of people that have that sort of juice. Like we make demands and people are like, all right, it's the Kamenetsky. So here's what we're going to do. Absolutely. But this is a, this is a fun thing to participate in. You, you, know, you can go to The Athletic um, and, and take a look at the list. Uh, we'll have content running all week on some really fun, uh, fun things, both from the sort of the conventional to the very unusual. So if you have a great week, especially if you are a movie buff, if you love sports movies, um, this is gonna be a great week for content at the athletic. Uh, and so we're we're happy to be able to participate in it. Um, so you know, it's again top 100, Andy. And I, I think it's important whenever you do something like this because everybody wants to know, like, okay, what are the rules? Um, and so let's give you an idea, like give people an idea of what this is, and then we'll dive into the list. We've got some some talking points and some things we really want to get into, uh, things that jumped out, where these movies are, movies that we love, and all that. So here's how it was put together. Um, everyone on staff at The Athletic was asked to nominate movies. Uh, they had to be theatrical, re theatrically released, otherwise known as the Brian Song rule. That was exactly. a TV movie. Yeah, or an HBO movie, for example, something like that. It had to be a theatrical release, an old-fashioned theatrical right. release. Right, you got to be able to go buy popcorn for it. And stuff like that. So, so for documentaries to make the ballot, it had to be released in theaters. So no TV stuff or strictly TV, I should say, had to be at least, or and be at least nominated for an Oscar, added to the Library of Congress's National Film Registry, which is very prestigious sounding, or make at least a million bucks at the box office, or I guess if did none of those things, be super significant culturally. Um, all right. So after that, I think they had something like three hundred movies on the list. Uh, a panel was convened to call the list, uh, making calls on borderline sports movies and things like that. And then everybody was then asked again to go back and rate all the movies on a scale of 1 to 100, with 100 being the best. Um, then the ratings get averaged out and so on and so on. Here's the only wrinkle, and this, is, this becomes important to me at least. Um, the ratings were averaged out, and you to, to get to the final list, a movie needed at least... 10 ratings from panelists. So it had to be on 10 lists and be rated. So if you were under that threshold, you didn't make it. And that uh, leads to our, you know, what will be a conversation and our biggest snub 
on this list of 100 didn't make it because it didn't cross this threshold, which sucks. Yeah, it's a movie Shame called, on all of you. It's a movie called Without Limits. Uh, it's otherwise known as the other movie that came out that year about Steve Prefontaine, uh, The Runner. And the earlier one uh, stars Jared Leto playing Prefontaine. It's fine. It's okay. It's not great. It's not awful. Without Limits is a fantastic movie. It stars Billy Crudup as Prefontaine and Donald Sutherland as uh, Bill Bowerman, his coach at Oregon. And one of the legendary founders of Nike. Yes. It, it is an absolutely terrific movie that was underseen in 98 when it came out and apparently remains underseen. <laughs> right. <laughs> People should... <laughs> It People is kind of really funny, like the movie. irony of why this movie isn't on the list, it actually averaged out from like, I don't know, the three people who apparently ranked it. Like it reinforces the biggest problem, dare I say the only problem of Without Limits is that literally nobody saw it. Yeah. It's like you, me, Billy Crudup might have, uh, maybe Bill Bowerman watched it, like had a special screening. Um, nobody saw this movie. So uh, our first recommendation is if you've never seen Without Limits, uh, find out a way to do it. It is a, it is phenomenal. It is one of, it, it is in, if I was making my own top 10, it would be in it. Yeah. Uh, it's, in terms it's, of sports movies. It's fantastic. It's a really, it's a really, really good one. Um, other movies that, uh, were snubbed, I guess, uh, didn't make the list, um, that I thought were noteworthy were all the right moves and Lucas, uh, two very different, but I think in their own ways, very realistic. You know, and I honest. didn't know you, I, I didn't even actually notice that all the right moves didn't make it. That's a try. That's a crime. Yeah. I'm I'm very surprised. They're they're both I think really honest different looks at high school football and the pressure that it can create, you know, when you're when you're in high school, you know, as a as a teenager and how much kids can wrap their, you know, entire identity around it and all the right moves is more of a true Sports I was about to say, movie. like, Lucas, I think you could argue doesn't make it because, like, you could make the argument that it's not a sports movie. Sure. Which is a debate that we'll have over the course of, of the, the show is, like, what makes a sports movie. You could right, argue but, Lucas just doesn't qualify. Right. But All but the Right Brian, Moves I, is I, absolutely a sports movie. I consider it a sports movie, and, and I would absolutely have it um, on this list. I was also surprised, Brian, that 42 didn't make it. The movie about Jackie Robinson mm -hmm. uh, with Chadwick Boseman um, and Harrison Ford as Branch Rickey. Um, it's a it's a good movie. And it was better than I thought it would be when it came out. And I'm I, I'm not even uh, outraged as much as I am just gen genuinely surprised. Maybe people got it confused with sixty one because wasn't that a just strictly HBO thing? Yeah, that was a that was about uh, the home run race between Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. Right. That was actually very good. It was very good, but it it doesn't qualify for the reasons that I mentioned. Uh, above so anyway um that that those are sort of the snubs of things that just never appeared on the list uh but I, we're going to kind of work our way up through it and kind of stop along the way for things that we find interesting and point out some stuff that we think is really fascinating about the way this list ended up and it starts actually andy with movie number 99 which is ali and there are 14 boxing movies on this list 14 yeah. 14 yes. of the 100 are boxing movies yeah i don't think got... i have to tell you boxing in terms of like today it's it's not not it's not 14 percent of the cultural relevance of the sports world it's not even no, close it, 
It absolutely is not. But in terms of the sports movie universe, it is absolutely relevant. Um, Ali came in at 99, then Creed 2 at 69, Rocky 4 at 65, Rocky 3 at 63, The Hurricane at 59, Cinderella Man at 58, The Fighter at 43, Million Dollar Baby at 35, The Boxer at 34, Rocky 2 at 33, Creed at 28, then three in the top 10 that we're going to hold off on for right now because we're actually going to discuss the top 10. I, I will say this. I think most people at least can figure out one of them. Because if Rocky 4 and 3 and 2 are also in there, you got to figure maybe Rocky's in there as well, but again. Or maybe Rocky Balboa, dummy. <laughs> I don't, don't want to spoil Rocky it. Maybe Rocky 5, I don't want to spoil it for dummy. people. Rocky 5. I'm just saying, dude, like stop acting all, you know, condescending towards the audience. Rocky Balboa haughty. Is a terrible film. Rocky Balboa is not a good movie. <laughs> it is a terrible <laughs> film. Uh, but what my question is this: Why do boxing movies, or why does boxing as a sport translate so well to movies? Because again, fourteen in the top one hundred. I mean, I, I think in in some ways it's because the overwhelming majority of people watching it have never done it. They don't know how. They don't know much about it. So I think in some ways they have an easier time buying into what they see because they can't, they can't truly critique how authentic uh, a performer looks boxing or not. You know what I mean? Like I can that tell helps. if it looks, I, I can tell if it looks Brian convincing to me, but I really have no idea whether I'm right or not. Um, but at the same time too, like if you're an audience member and you watch an actor take on a boxing role, you know how much training goes into looking convincing as a boxer, how much physical exhaustion is there, how much prep is endured. So an actor who looks serious about a role as a boxer, it feels like to an audience member was really invested. And that in and of itself, I think, can draw you into what's happening. Yeah, I think too, there's also, a, there, there's an issue here going on with how easy is it to recreate the sport that you're trying to do? And, you know, not every sports movie spends 85% of the time engaged in it, but like you have to at least get it right when you do. And it's, I feel like it's easier to coordinate boxing than it is and make it look authentic than it is other sports. It's hard to make baseball look as authentic. It's hard to make football. Boxing is two people. It's one-on-one. -on -one. You can get the choreography there. You can, you kind of teach people how to do it. And so I think that helps um, it's easier to film like the whole thing in a way that looks kind of like the way you would see it as a viewer on television. Um, so I think all that stuff, but I also think it like boxing translates beautifully to sports writing too. Um, it's not just movie making, it's sports writing. It's these sort of storytelling around the sport does just does remarkably well if it's done right. Maybe it's because, you know, boxing is so brutal, it's so visceral. Um, the characters in it that we've seen over time are are kind of bigger than life, and I think boxing movies tend to reflect that. Um, there's a brutality to boxing that isn't there in baseball, that's not there in golf, um, that I think also can be a compelling part of storytelling, almost like it is in war movies. Um, oh yeah. I mean, if you, if you look in Ra in raging bull, for example, and I guess spoiler alert right there, it's one of the movies in the top 10, but probably people could guess that, um, the, the brutality in the scenes, the way that the way Scorsese, 
films uh, De Niro as Jake LaMotta in the ring and like the, the self-loathing that he allows to come through from, from LaMotta and just like the amount of just destructiveness that you feel for, for LaMotta in the ring and out of the ring. It, like the, the fights that go on between LaMotta and uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, like Scorsese films these things like they're war scenes, mm-hmm. like in the, particular the second fight between these guys, there's like smoke rising and like timpanies and these atmospheric sounds like whirring in and out. There's this sound that I, I it's like an, an attacking pterodactyl going through. Like it's basically like a boxing movie restaged as Apocalypse Now. And I, and I feel like it just it reinforces what you're talking about. Just like that brutality. It's like it's probably the most extreme case of this. But when boxing is done well, you really get a sense for what these guys go through. Yeah, the, and the drive. I mean, like this is this is one of those. This relates to to how we talk about boxing now, and like with the way the world is going with football and concussions and all this kind of stuff. Like nobody nobody boxes because they want to. Like you box to get yourself out of a place. Um, you know, or because there's something in your world that kind of requires you to do it, whether it's, you know, Rocky is not in a position to be able to be, you know, a corporate lawyer. That's not a choice. He's, he's he can be a, a, a leg breaker and a boxer, like a sparring partner, you know, a tomato can or all these things that he sort of considers himself because he doesn't think he can do anything else. And we'll get it, you know, get it, you know, talk about some of this stuff later. You know, but you go back, like, look at what Hil- drives Hillary Swank in Million Dollar Baby and like the brutality and the, and the, you know, obvious pain that she endures and that, like, there's just something about what drives a boxer to do what they do to begin with um, and put up with that kind of punishment that is compelling. I, I think it's compelling as a, as a storytelling device written, and it certainly works very well in film when it's done right. Yeah, I just think uh, really quickly, just one last thought, like when it comes to an audience member reacting to what they see in a boxing movie, I think there's a vulnerability to playing a boxer as an actor because they're one-on-one scenes, but all the focus is going to be on you. Like you're, I mean, you're basically undressed. Like, you know, people are going to be paying attention to how, like how much work you put into looking physically convincing as a boxer and as a performer, there's really nowhere to hide. Like it's not an ensemble scene. So like everything is on you. And I think if you are convincing in that role and there's something compelling about what you're watching, that setup, you know, ramps it up even more. All right. So that's uh, number number 99 and others, Ali, um, reflecting just a heavy boxing influence on this list. Stop. I want to stop quickly at 86. Tin Cup. You and I are not like, snub people we're not list people we're like we don't care if you know a guy finishes fourth in the mvp voting versus sixth we don't care if somebody's ranked you know seventh on the all-time greatest list versus 12th like that's not us i was very surprised tin cup came in at 86 yeah i thought it would actually be a lot higher brian me too i i think this is kevin costner's best sports role like it's better than all the baseball rules yes i do I mean, it, I or at least it's my favorite. I would say this. It is the one that I personally enjoyed the most of all of Costner sports roles. Roy McAvoy. But Roy McAvoy by a pretty fair margin. And frankly, I was really surprised when it came out how much I liked this movie. Like, I really did not have a big interest in seeing it, and I really enjoyed it. 
it's a good movie. It's really, I mean, Cheech Marin is really good. I mean, like it's, it's a very good movie. Um, it's, I, I, I think just, it's, I think it's, it's probably, probably the most, it's probably the, the, the lowest movie that, that in my list deserves to be way higher. Yeah, um, and I think it's Ron. This? It's probably Ron Shelton's most underrated sports mover. Maybe it was most underappreciated in the moment. I would agree with that, and I, and I compare this though the, my surprise at Tin Cup at eighty six to seventy six. If you jump up ten spots, Rudy. I was surprised Tin Cup was as low as it was, and I was surprised Rudy was as low as it was. But this one is pleasant because I don't like Rudy at all. I hate that movie, and I, I take so much crap about it from people. Uh, it's not a good movie. It's not, and it doesn't deserve to be ranked really high, and I thought because it's a sports movie list that it was going to be way up there, and I was stoked to see that it was as low as 76. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Rudy either, Brian, and I was actually pleasantly surprised as well. I, I, I kind of feel like if pretty much everybody who was around Notre Dame at the time other than Rudy himself, who is now literally a motivational speaker off his time, basically as Rudy, like retelling this story. If pretty much everybody else in, who was around at the time thinks that this story is basically bullshit. And the whole then, thing is just bullshit. Right. Then it's kind of a, it's kind of a problem. I mean, it's, it's, I mean it, and here's the thing, though, too. As I was watching it, I remember when it came out in theaters, it didn't feel believable to me. No, it didn't. It, 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 I was just like watching this going like, this can't possibly have happened exactly like this. This feels like it's laying it on really thick. Well, look, I and mean, we're going to have this conversation about The Natural a little bit. Like The Natural is, it's one of my favorite sports movies. Um, it came in, it came in at 31. We'll get there in a minute. Uh, it is wildly manipulative, but in a, in a, like a good and kind of a satisfying way and and it works, even though you know what they're doing to you. Rudy is trying basically the same thing, except it's more, for me at least, and I guess there are other people who disagree, just love this movie. And, you know, the, the actual Rudy, you know, Rudy Rudiger, like, just all he does is run around talking about being Rudy, and apparently it's enough of a living. I just, but like, for me, the way that Rudy did, it's just, it's, the whole thing is, like, the whole thing is an eye roller. And it drives me nuts, and I hate that people love it as much as they do. Well, apparently, apparently, at least uh, inside the athletic, they—I mean, I would have been stunned if this movie was not on the list. So I, I'm not going to complain about that. No, but I—but I thought all in all, it was responsibly voted upon, Brian. In a movie with a in a list with a hundred sports movies, Rudy is going to be on it, even though I wouldn't necessarily. Or if I do, it's in the '90s somewhere. Is like I can't think of any others. Uh, but I was I was pleased. Um, I, I want to, you know, there's, there's a lot in here. Some, you know, some interesting things, you know, happy Gilmore is at 55 and we talked about Cinderella man and the, you know, the, where the Rocky sequels end up Rocky four at 65. Um, certainly, you know, for 65, it's probably the most watchable, um, uh, of the movies in, in, in that part. Let's say chariots of fire is 66. You know, Chariots of Fire is a better, I guess, movie than Rocky IV. I'm not watching Chariots of Fire again. I've seen it. Rocky IV, I'll watch every single time it's on. Yeah, and maybe not always for the right reasons, but I will watch Rocky IV. I mean, the 
when he's training in Siberia or wherever that is, <laughs> I will watch every single every, time. Every single time. Every single time. When, you know, I mean, once I, you, you see Stallone grow out that beard and he's, you know, he's doing the rudimentary workouts. It, we, I know, you, Brian, you and I have laughed about this over the years so many times. Rocky Four ha- is the only movie I've ever seen with back-to-back montages. Like you see Rocky yes. working out in you know, Russia slash Siberia. Uh, out in the cold in that barn by himself. Yes. And then Adrian shows up out of nowhere. They look silently at each other, you know, recognizing the significance of this moment. Then Rocky goes back to another workout montage. montage. The movie actually, I think it it has like five. I mean, if you count the boxing matches, which are essentially montages, it's got like seven montages. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, don't forget the, uh, the, the, all the stuff at the beginning with living in America and, uh, you know, uh, Apollo dying. Uh, Apollo dying is its own thing. Like, so you have that, and then you have, uh, Dr- you know, the Drago stuff, and then you have the Drago match, and then like, there are the the actual script of Rocky Four is seven pages long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's like six pages of dialogue in the entire movie. It's incredibly lazy. Like it is as lazy a film as the actual rocky is ambitious i don't want to use up all of our rocky content now but like it is rocky 4 is as lazy a movie as rocky 1 is ambitious and it's the reason it works if it were any if you tried any harder and if it didn't if it leaned any less into the cold war shit and all that stuff that it does it would be unwatchable but it, it it's it's fantastic um, for all the wrong reasons, but uh, we'll 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 get back to more Rocky stuff. It's just hard not to talk Rocky when it pops up. Um, Rounders at fifty one, super watchable uh, movie like that. But I want I want to skip to forty two. Jerry Maguire. I love this movie, as do I. And it's we're starting to get into that part where you know forty two sounds really low for Jerry Maguire, but then you start picking off movies that are above it. And you can quibble about this, but there are not a lot of movies above Jerry Maguire on this list that you look at and go, okay, well, that's obviously not as good. Like, these are all good movies, generally speaking, above it. You can have some arguments, whatever, but again, we're not here to, like, argue something should be 33 instead of 42. That's not the point. What I find fascinating about this is, like, Jerry Maguire, maybe it's because it's the title character or the era... Arguably one of the, I don't know, 10 most iconic and recognizable sports movie characters of all time. I mean, he's, he's certainly in the top 10. Wouldn't you agree? Does that oh, character I mean, of Jerry Maguire? It's absolutely indelible. I mean, it's, it's one of Tom Cruise's best roles of his career. He was Oscar nominated. It's an extremely rewatchable movie. Yes. Um, it is, I think, aged very well, even if certain elements of it in terms of the way sports is depicted can feel dated. I, you know, I feel like the actual movie itself has aged very well. I mean, frankly, it's aged better than Cameron Crowe's, you know, career moving forward. I mean, it was, uh, it was really, I almost famous came after that, you know, a movie that in and of itself has certain aging issues. And then from there, Cameron Crowe hasn't made it really good though. 
It is really good, but I'm just saying there are elements of Almost Famous that have not aged well at all. Jerry Maguire has aged problematic. Yes, no, I understand. But Jerry Maguire, yes, Jerry Maguire (laughs) has aged famous. The groupies, Brian. I'm talking about the groupies. I I understand there's a, eh, it's uncomfortable. Yes. Which happens in a lot of movies now where you go back and you look and think, oh, that's that's not. Well, I mean, look, that was was the time and it was an honest depiction of it. And it was literally Cameron Cameron Crowe's own experiences. Right. It's still uncomfortable. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, But I mean, Jerry Maguire like holds up beautifully. So where does he is he does he make the top five though if you make a, a top five list of like the most iconic sports characters of all time and you got to throw out the people who are actually people um you know yeah for the purposes of this exercise brian and i decided we are not going to allow a depiction of a real life person like like uh denzel washington for example from remember the titans right that's a, that's, a, that's an actual person right so he does we can't we're not doing that. Like portrayals he's not, he's of not real a true people. character in this sense. Right. Um, who is your top five? Well, then the other rule that you and I came up with, um, we're leaving Rocky off because right. he's basically the king. So for the purposes of allowing it's, ourselves it's a Rocky little, plus five. Uh, right, Rocky we're, plus one. We're but, allowing ourselves you know a little I mean. more wiggle room. Yes, it's five plus Rocky. In no particular order, mm-hmm. I have Mr. Miyagi. Yes, who he's on my I list. think is I think he's the most indelible fictional coach in movie history. Maybe the most in period. He's just he's the most original in terms of his approach to teaching. There are just there's so many surprises to the way he goes about doing this. Pat Morita, who at the time you want to talk about being cast against type, like nobody took him seriously. No, he was the dude from Happy Days. Exactly, and and you know, and a sort of like a semi known stand up. Yeah. And, you know, this is an Oscar nominated performance. He's just terrific. Uh, number two, Billy Hoyle from White Men Can't Jump, uh, Woody Harrelson's mm. character. It, I, it's a performance that both busts stereotypes and embraces them in a smart, quirky, funny way. Woody Harrelson has just this off kilter energy to the role. Um, he's just addicted to gambling, he's addicted to the hustle, he's addicted to. Not being able to back away from a challenge is, is just, it's such a good performance. Right. And Lightyear's better at basketball than Wesley Snipes. Yes, he was. Uh, uh, the, other, the other partner in his, uh, in his hustle. Yeah, and it's just, it's a, it's just a terrific character. Uh, number three, Rod Tidwell from Jerry I Maguire. thought about that. I, he's not in my five, but I thought about that. It's, it's you know, a great performance by Cuba Gooding Jr., won an Oscar for it. It also, I think, is really interesting about uh, Rod Tidwell. The movie was way ahead of the curve. For the stereotypical diva wide receiver image thing, like most of the guys on the list of being them, you know, rightly or wrong, like Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, uh, Chad Ochocinco, Keyshawn Johnson, Joe Horn, they hadn't even started playing no, in but, the NFL. But it was still kind of a diva position. It was but, just but, it was you know what it wasn't cranked up to thirty like it is now, or cranked up to hundred, or depending on whatever scale you're is uh, you're using, but. The wide receiver was always sort of the diva spot relative to, I don't know, defensive tackle. Maybe, but not, you know what, honestly, though, not, not to that degree, though, that no, it ended no. up turning into in the late 90s, 2000s. And it actually got me wondering how much the role of Rod Tidwell actually affected the perception. Like it inspired, yeah. you know, these guys. Well, no, but actually not even so much inspired those guys as it affected the way we saw them. The way people saw wide receivers, in particular, black wide receivers. 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, who did the, was it T.O. did the Sharpie? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying all of it was entirely <laughs> undeserved. I'm simply saying like, and maybe there is a bit of a chicken of egg effect to it. I'm just, I don't, I just, I'm honestly, I've never thought about it that way. I just um, thought it was really interesting because yeah. I started look I started looking up the timeline for some of the guys who were known as you know sort of like the the primo diva wide receivers. I'm like, wait, they, they weren't but even like in the NFL. But when you t- again, when you talk about like what makes a sports movie iconic and we'll and we'll get there I, you know all this well, maybe we should have started there but yeah we're talking with jerry Maguire. when we both are like 42 feels a little two characters in jerry Maguire on you or you know you could argue are on this list you know the top 10 you've got you know one of the top five of the most iconic fictional sports characters of all time like that says something about the quality of that movie um and and why why people you know gravitate towards it still, uh, but anyway, keep going. And then on uh, uh, number four, I have Jake Shuttlesworth, uh, Denzel Washington's character. Not Jesus. Uh, from, you have Jake. Not Jesus. I have I have Jake uh, Shuttlesworth. Um, I he is in his own right the worst sports dad ever, and maybe the best, <laughs> depending on how you look at certain things that he does down the stretch. But um, I Ray Allen is I think very good as Jesus. But I also think some of the attention for that role came for him being an NBA player in sure. the role. And, and just is, the name makes it right, more exactly. memorable. Jesus. But yeah. I, I think Jake, as, as a sports dad, is just a fascinating character. And then number five, I have Crash Davis. Yeah. And I, I, you're I, not a huge Bull Durham guy. No, I'm not. I, I, don't, I don't dislike Bull Durham, but I don't love it the way other people do. But if I'm being objective, this is a role and a performance that it, it's had legs. It's, it speaks to a lot of it, people. You can't leave it. Yeah, and, I, and Costner's you, good in the He's role. very good. You cannot leave Crash Day. If you're making no. a list like this, because I mean, everybody's got different criteria in there. There's no rule that says I have to think of my list in the same way that you do. But, you know, inter- one of those things is if I say the name of this character, what movie are they in? Crash Davis is going to be as identifiable, like the Q rating of Crash Davis in Bull Durham is as strong as anything outside of Rocky, particularly right. like if you're taking guys who are not the titular character in the movie, it's easy to know where, like what movie is Jerry Maguire from? Well, I mean, come on, like crash da- the move. The name of the movie is not crash Davis. Um, so he is on my list as well. I also have Mr. Miyagi. Um, I thought about Rod Tidwell. I thought about happy Gilmore. Like I'm not, a, I don't like the movie. I really don't. Um, not a big Sandler guy from that, particularly that era. Um, I thought about Ray Kinsella and Roy McAvoy for other, um, Costner performances. I thought about Drago. <laughs> no, but seriously, is, is Ivan Drago might be other, because Apollo isn't a villain in a traditional sense, I don't think, in a boxing movie. No, uh, he's, he's not, he's, he's not a villain. Of, no, he's more of a foil than a villain. Right. Ivan Drago is a villain. And so, like, is he the most identifiable sports villain of all time? He might be. He might be, although some might say Clubber Lang. That's true. Uh, not uh, Hulk Hogan's character, Thunderlips. But no. No, that didn't, that didn't quite hold up as well. But, um, I, but I think Ivan Drago is just because it's, it's more parody, honestly, than Clubber Lang. Um, I have Roy Hobbs in there. Um, 
I, I think it's hard to make a list like this. He, to me, is just an iconic sports movie figure. And then from there, I, I finish it out with Ricky Vaughn from Major League. Thought about him. And, Absolutely thought about him. Yeah, Charlie Sheen's character. Charlie Sheen's character. I mean, because I, I, I was there and... I actually have Jerry Maguire if you get that five uh five plus Rocky, so really six. Um I, I have Jerry Maguire in there as well. Ricky Vaughn to me is one of those like everyone like you kind of remember that. You remember what he looked like, you remember the glasses, you remember the haircut, you remember giving the heater Ricky. You know, all of that stuff turns that into a a, a character that everyone knows. So after Rocky, I've got Crash Davis, Roy Hobbs. Ricky Vaughn, Mr. Miyagi, and Jerry Maguire. That's my five. Yeah, those are good. Those Thanks. are really good characters. I mean, there there are a lot. There are of really good characters to choose from. This was you know this a is fun a hard way. one. The Hansons. That's I mean, like you know, I I didn't put them on because most people actually I think a lot of people don't actually remember what happens in Slapshot, um, but everybody kind of remembers the Hansons. Um, you know, Ray Kinsella, Costner's character in Field of Dreams. I mean, there's Costner's on here a lot. Like I mean, Costner a is a ma- he's a massive presence in sports movies. Um, I want to set you up for this one because this to me is kind of fascinating. It gets to that question uh, we were asking about what is or is not a sports movie because number 36 is a movie that I know you love, The Color of Money. Yeah. It's the sequel to The Hustler. It was directed by Martin Scorsese with uh, Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. And it's a great movie. It's a really good movie. Um, and it, it raises the question, Brian, of, you know, is something, essentially, is something a sport because ESPN broadcasts it? Because, you know, ESPN broadcasts pool. It, it will broadcast bass fishing, poker. <laughs> right now, they'll broadcast anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, right now, like competitive marble rolling. You remember <laughs> when, you, no, you remember when uh, like it first came on? Like when, when ESPN first became a thing, like they didn't have anything. So it was like, that's how I learned all of my Canadian provinces from watching CFL football. Like I know all of the teams in there. I know all my provinces from watching that. And it's how I learned about Australia from watching Australian rules football. It's like, I, I, like I learned world geography because ESPN had nothing else to put on. It's very yeah. similar to, very similar actually talk about snubbed movies that didn't make the list. Very similar to victory. Um, a Stallone film where he was the goalie of uh, the American, you know, he was the American goalie in the prison camp um, where they stopped to play a soccer game and then escaped the prison camp. <laughs> it's like a Nazi World War II prison camp. They were like, wait, guys, we can get out of here now, but let's finish the game first because it's that much more important. Uh, HBO had the rights to like three movies. This was one of them. I watched it a thousand times. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, look, people for years, I mean, Hollywood for years had been trying to figure out some type of way to put Michael Ke- Michael Caine, Stallone, and Pele in the same movie. And finally, finally Victory offered them the they opportunity. figured it out. It's not a great film. No, it's uh, not. It's not, but man, it holds a soft spot in my heart. Anyway, um, back to Color of Money. But like, you know, they... Uh, a sport like bowling, for example, straddles that line of, you know, like, is this a sport versus a skill? Leisure versus activity. Exactly. Versus, and again, right. is it defined that way because ESPN broadcasts? It doesn't it. mean that the thing is easy. Bowling is no. not easy. 
No. A lot of things are, are hard, but they're not sports. Right. It's a, it's a difference between a sport versus a skill. And in the case of like the color of money, I'll just address it right now. No, I don't think pool is a sport. But, you know, it's not physically rigorous enough. What about enough. billiards, Andy? Right. <laughs> I mean, by comparison- Ping pong is not a sport. What about table tennis? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean- they, I, I would say table tennis is closer to a sport. Table tennis than pool. is absolutely one thousand percent a sport, and if anybody says differently, is wrong. But for the purposes of this list, the color of money has been defined as a sports movie, and I'm not really going to argue it one way or the other. But particularly with this movie, I don't care because I've always found the color of money to be a really interesting and effective metaphor for athletes at various stages of their careers. Like even if that's not what Scorsese was intending, and I suspect that it wasn't, but you've got these two athletes, pool athletes, as it were, in Paul Newman's character, Fast Eddie Felsen, and Vincent, Tom Cruise's character, at different stages of their pool hustling career. And and that clash of relationships, it's always reminded me of like mentor-mentee with aging players in whatever sport right. and young and up and comers. And then you've got Paul Newman, who is way past his prime. He's on the verge of permanent retirement, but he's still like around the game, you know, like a, like a Vince Carter or Udonis Haslam. And he'll show these flashes of being able to play, but he's still lost a step or three. Like he's not the same guy as before. And you have to reckon with that. And there's this scene in the movie where. Eddie Felson gets hustled by this guy, Amos, being played by Forrest Whitaker. And it's really devastating. I want to play this clip and then get into exactly why. That is luck, man. Uh, uh, I'm really sorry. There's nothing I can do. Nine ball fell. You a hustler, Amos? Come on, Eddie, man. Look, you're a hustler. Hey, you don't want to pay me? Keep it. Forget it. I don't want no bad feelings. When a guy loses, I lost, I paid. <laughs> you're a hustler, Amos. Okay, so you, you see how pissed off uh, Eddie Felson is and how he's willing to go deeper and deeper into these bets with Amos. And for I think for Eddie Felson, it's devastating not because he got outplayed, because that can happen, but it's because he didn't spot the con before it happened. Right. He got hustled by Amos and Eddie in his prime would have seen this coming a mile away and he got taken. And for this type of athlete to get taken like that, to not see the con, it's the equivalent of like an NBA player who's at the back end of his career, use an old man game to get by. Or if you're a receiver who you run perfect routes to offset the fact that you're not as fast and quick as you used to be to get separation. Right. Like it's that moment. That's the, for right, you. that radar that, that, that 
Eddie had is like that was the that's his old man game. Like you're supposed yes. to be able to pick that up. Yeah, and and I, it's always struck me in a lot of ways the color of money as a movie about athletes, even if these athletes aren't playing a sport that right. everybody would agree well, what's, is one. What's funny is like you know rounders is a perfect example of like is that a sport because ESPN puts it on TV? Like the poker craze, is like no, I don't think no, poker is not a sport. It's it, it's an endurance activity. It requires tremendous concentration. It is not a sport. Uh, it's competitive. It's not a sport. Um, you know, we can have an argument about whether The Big Lebowski is a sports movie or even, you know, uh, some you know another movie in the, in the top 10 and we'll get there. You know, A River Runs Through It is on the list. I don't think that's a sports movie. I wouldn't have put it on there. I think the best example of this of like, is that a sport is chess um, and searching for Bobby Fischer. Because, and if you haven't seen it, that that comes in at 39. That's my other movie. Like for me personally, I would have it in the top 10. As would Because I. it's just one of my favorite movies of all time. It's incredible. If you've never seen it, and it's, I think a lot of people have, but maybe it's probably less seen than certainly others on this It list. was a smaller release when it came right. out in the moment. Go in see it. I believe. It's amazing. Ben Kingsley and Joe Montaigne and Joan Allen, uh, the kid who plays, um, Max Pomerantz. Max, Max Promise plays Max Waitzkin is the name in the movie. Um, he's really good. Never really acted again, but he's really good. That, to me, it's it's a sports movie, and you can have the debate about chess. Is chess a sport? I don't know. I mean, probably not. But It's definitely not. There's no probably. Okay, chess so, is not a sport. But what makes this a sports movie is it... You don't work up a sweat playing chess. <laughs> well, I don't work up a sweat doing I mean, Unless anything. you're playing like in a sauna, you're not going to work up a sweat I don't sweat know. They do a lot chess. of speed chess with... Uh, no, you know, even in the speed park. chess. You're not working up a sweat, man. I'm Lawrence sorry. Lawrence Fishburne, uh, who credited in that movie, I believe, still as Larry. He was still Larry. He was still Larry at the time. Yes, he um, was. Because that was, the, I believe, the same year that uh, What's Love got to do with it came out. And he was definitely Larry then. Yeah, so, I, think, I think after getting the Oscar nomination for uh, What's Love got to do with it, he decided, you know what? I'm going I'm Lawrence. Lawrence now. I actually also plan, if I ever get nominated for an Oscar, to change my name to Lawrence. Uh, just as a, as a prestige thing, but it, I mean, it's a phenomenal movie, but what makes it a sports movie to me, Joe Montana plays a sports writer in it and you can see all of the, like he, he's much more sort of interested in his son playing baseball and like normal stuff. And it's like, it's hard for him to wrap his head around, not just the fact that his kid's a chess player, but that he doesn't. He doesn't treat his opponents in a way that feels right for competitive sports. And that's, that's Ben Kingsley's big problem with the kid in the movie as well. And he wants it, to be great at chess. He doesn't care about, about winning. winning. And <clears throat> excuse me. What's fascinating too is it touches on those themes of the way that sports tie kids to their parents and the way that kids use sports to try to please their parents and the role that that has and the way that parents, whether purposely or, or not, live vicariously through their kids in their sports and attach love to it. There's actually a great scene where this gets spelled out between Joe Montana and Joan Allen, who is phenomenal in this movie, um, where they, they have this argument and she says, you know, how many... Um, number 24 is The Wrestler, notable in part because of the performance of Mickey Rourke. 
Yeah. And this is something that I plan to write about for The Athletic over the course of this week that we're going to be featuring all this content for sports movies, because I think this is the single best casting in any sports movie when it comes to, I can't picture anybody else playing this role. Right. Like anybody else. I've never seen a sports movie role where it's one guy and one guy only. And it's, you know, it's this perfect, it, it's that way in part because it's this perfect casting as meta commentary because Mickey Rourke playing uh, Randy the Ram Robinson, this once really huge pro wrestler who's now, you know, doing these really small time matches and living basically broke in a, in a trailer and he's estranged from his daughter. And he was huge though in the 80s. And Mickey Rourke, for a while, was oh, a big star. It's, it's art imitating life. In the 80s. Yes. And it just becomes perfect casting because it's mirroring Mickey Rourke's career. Mickey Rourke himself, you know, was not just down and out in his career, but also had become physically mangled, you know, between his finger quote boxing career and the plastic surgery. Like he went from being this. I, I think it was more the latter than the former. I mean, he went from being this like, you know, beautiful, charismatic man to like, you know, looking like just a, it was, it was he's like kind a distorted of form of yeah, himself. I mean, and, and you see that. Absolutely. In, you see that in uh, Randy Robinson and, you know, it, it also, the physicality that is demanded of Mickey Rourke in this role is something that I can't picture anybody else doing because I don't know how many actors would have been able to handle it. Like, you know, I mean, Mickey Rourke's boxing and brawling past, if nothing else, helped him for what he would need to put himself through in this. Like he does all of his own real wrestling stunts. He actually bladed himself. And for people who don't know what that means, it's like he used the razor blades that these guys keep, you know, in, inside their hands to cut his own head, you know, to add realism, you know, bringing out the blood. Like he did that for this movie. And like, you know, it's, it's one thing when you see a guy like Tom Cruise doing his own stunt in a movie, like the Mission Impossible series, and it's obviously dangerous, but it's different than like a matter of just inflicting pain on yourself for things going well. Like that's the goal of the scene. And like, you know, you'll, you'll hear about actors who either injure themselves on a set or, you know, lose serious weight for a role like Christian Bale in The Machinist or Matt Damon in Ooh. Courage Under Fire. But what Mickey Rourke put himself through this movie, like through in this movie, like the violence that he endured in this movie, I don't know how many actors, forget pulling it off, I don't know how many would have done it. And, you know, he's in basically every single scene of the movie. It was an intense, low budget, guerrilla style shoot. And that's just on top of the performance itself which is just so good and authentic and lived in and I think understood by Rourke in a way that a lot of actors simply couldn't relate to because they hadn't been through everything that Rourke had been through, a lot of it by his own doing because Mickey Rourke was impossible to work with for quite a while. I, I had a friend who worked as a PA on a Mickey Rourke movie in the 90s and one of her jobs, <laughs> one of her jobs became very quietly looking for Mickey Rourke on set because he would always disappear, find him and just like whisper into a walkie talkie like Mickey Rourke, Southwest Corner catering. 
And then like an AD would have to like wander Go over. Go get him. Right. Yeah. And, and pretend that they ran into Mickey Rourke. Oh, and then, hey, you're yeah, exactly. on set. Exactly. And like, you know, he burned a zillion bridges, you know, on the way to deep sixing his career, but he's always had so much talent and he's incredible in this movie. And Darren Aronofsky, the director, he had to fight hard to get Mickey Rourke. Like nobody it, wanted to ensure a Mickey Rourke movie. Right. It's so funny now because you look back on it. It's, it's again, it's like who else is going to play that role, and uh, and then it makes sense for the character. It's like it, it's very, it's it's similar. It's part of the appeal that Burt Reynolds uh, had in Boogie Nights. It's like you understand, yes, the actor and his his arc with the character in his arc, and it doesn't always work when you do that, but I think it can lead if the actor is self aware enough, certainly to that kind of performance. So like, yeah, who else is going to play that role? But yet you had to fight for it. Does that put him, is that, is a performance good enough to put him on your list of, uh, like the, the first team, all sports movie actors? No, it is not because, uh, Mickey Rourke doesn't have that type of filmography. Not a lot of volume. There's not, a, there's not nearly enough volume, uh, for a list of top five sports actors. All right. Um, I have, Here's my five. Yeah, because the low volume thing is interesting here. I have Paul Newman at number five. Mostly, not because I necessarily think he's the best, but he's he he is awesome as a pool guy and as a hockey guy. And like that to me is a wide enough variety that if you do those things and nail both of them, color of money and slap shot, you get to be on my list. Plus you're Paul Newman. Uh, Denzel, he got game, Hurricane, Remember the Titans. Woody Harrelson has been in so many sports movies. Um, it starts with Wildcats. You got White Man Can't Jump. You got Kingpin. He's in Play to the Bone, which is not a great movie, but it's a different sport. Uh, semi-pro, back to basketball. Um, so he's my number three. Dennis Quaid I have at number two. And if you want range here, he you can make an argument. He's sort of like Kareem, like the the, the longevity and the range. Breaking Away, Everybody's All-American, Any Given Sunday, The Rookie. So you have baseball, cycling, two sports movies, and then uh, Breaking Away was 79. Yes, it was. And The Rookie was 2002, I believe, something like that. So you got like 23 years between, like we make a big deal out of LeBron doing stuff at 35. <laughs> Like Dennis Quaid was doing, did a, did a, was a cyclist in 1979 and a, like a major league pitcher in 2002 and was totally convincing in both. Yeah. Like that gets you on this list. So Dennis Quaid, you can, you could argue he's number one, um, in terms of competence, um, because Kevin Costner, who is my number one and is, is there because he's just so associated with sports movies between Bull Durham and Field of Dreams, Tin Cup for Love of the Game. And then Draft Day is a GM. But like most of Kevin Costner's great work is baseball. And then you got the golf movie thrown in. He doesn't have the same range as Dennis Quaid. No. No, he doesn't. But I still think he's number one. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Kevin Costner. I mean, there's, for my list, I mean, they, there's something about him, just this all-American presence that, you know, it, he's comforting as an actor, yes, and, you know, in a lot of ways, sports, they're meant to be reassuring, you know, as much as they're supposed to be exciting and unpredictable, there is a, a reassurance and a comfort to them. I mean, it's something that we are noticing right now, you know, in the absence of sports, 
with everything going on with this uh, pandemic and the coronavirus, like what you miss in sports and Costner's clearly comfortable portraying athletes. I, I read that he was a pretty active uh, athlete as a kid growing up. Um, and it's just, well, it's, you can tell he played baseball. Like it, you it's, know, it is the same way you can tell Dennis Quaid was a good athlete. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, Costner is not necessarily the greatest actor Hollywood's ever produced, but he is so damn good in this wheelhouse playing athletes and, and in movies around sports. It's his comfort zone. Um, I also had Denzel and Woody Harrelson on my list. Um, the other two were Sylvester Stallone, just by virtue of Rocky. Rocky. Like well, he, and over the and top. over the top, and a little movie top. called Over the Top. Yeah, well, you know, he's it's definitely the best portrayal of an arm wrestler I've ever seen. It, it's up there. It's definitely it's top five, if nothing else. Um, and then my fifth was Burt Reynolds, because yes. the longest the longest yard is the most convincing football performance ever, and maybe the most convincing of any actor well, playing a conventional professional sport. In fairness, he was a quarterback at Florida State. Like, so yes. he was, he had the expertise. He didn't have to, but, but you're right. It is. Here's my question, because White Man Can't Jump, we did the wrestler 24, White Man Can't Jump is a 23. What do you do with Wesley Snipes on this list? Wesley Snipes has made a ton of sports movies. You know, he's got Wildcats, he's in Major League, he's in White Man Can't Jump, he's in The Fan, he's a, like, he's made like seven or eight sports movies. Yeah. I mean, he's not, into sport. He's like yeah. into sports and he's actually, this is going to be interesting for where the conversation goes, he's actually a very good athlete. Okay. The only one where you look at it and you go, all right, he looks like that thing is probably uh what is it the that that box of the prison boxing movie he did um undisputed. Un undisputed like he's very convincing as a boxer and apparently he and ving rames like did all of that themselves like there were no body doubles and whatever uh as is my understanding but like he's legitimately awful at basketball like white man can't jump had to work around his inability to actually play basketball um major league like he looks like somebody who could run fast but like the whole character is kind of built around he can't hit. So his swing isn't very good. And that is okay. Like when you actually have to watch him kind of play baseball, it's not very convincing. The fan, when he's a baseball player again, like the whole premise is he's supposed to be in this horrible slump and keeps striking out and all these other things. And it's making De Niro really upset. <laughs> um, it's not a good movie. But like, again, the, 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 it's premised on actually wesley snipes isn't supposed to be very good at this and then wildcats i don't think what we watch wildcats for is like a convincing portrayal of football um so does he get credit for doing a ton of sports movies over not actually necessarily being convincing in any of them you know what i mean i i'm not i'm not a real purist on this like i i've heard Certain people like, you know, Bill Simmons, for example, you know, and I listen to a lot of Bill's work, but, you know, he, he this is something that he will get caught up in, like the idea of, you know, how good are you as an athlete? How convincing are you in the sport? And he can be taken out of it. And I know he's not alone in feeling that way. I'm generally of the opinion of if you're good enough, I don't care. Like it doesn't it doesn't take me out of it. Like I know Woody, Woody Harrelson is a much better basketball player than Wesley Snipes. 
But Snipes to me doesn't look so lost on the court, right? That it's completely taken. Well, if they work, they figured it out, like right. And, like, and he's also it, he's it, not supposed to be an NBA player. He's supposed to be a small time like right Venice Beach hustler. It takes you out. Like, watching Michael J. Fox play basketball in Teen Wolf takes you out of it a little bit, right? But I mean, but like Michael J. Michael J. Fox, you know, this is this is a at that point you're talking about a really silly movie. Um, we also just learned like hold watching- on, Andy, <laughs> did you just call Teen Wolf silly? <laughs> I, my point being, though, like I, I'm not, I'm not even looking at Teen Wolf no, for the sports. But generally speaking, to me, if you are good enough, like as long as it looks like you've, you know, if you're playing a baseball player, I need to, I, it needs to feel like you've actually thrown a baseball. You know, it's so well, that's what, that's one of, of the criticisms career. of Tim Robbins in in Bull Durham is he doesn't really look like somebody who's ever pitched, and one of the reasons that Ricky Vaughn you know, Charlie Sheen's performance in Major League is seen as kind of like really credible because he actually looks like he knows what he's doing. Well, he does. He was right, a high was school a pitcher. pitcher. He, he was very good. Um, you know what I think it is also to me? I've spent so much time covering professional athletes and covering real games that I've just come to realize if I really started getting picky none of these guys would ever look convincing to me no, and it would just ruin movies for me. There's some truth to that. Um, the other thing is like Bull Durham, like part of the reason you can get away with it with Tim Robbins and the, you know, the, is because, you know, Ebby Nuke Lelouch is such a weird character and a weird pitcher that it's, you know, the fact that he's clearly throwing 47 miles an hour when he's supposed to be throwing like 96 or whatever they have him on the gun you know that scene at the beginning where you know the the girl uh with susan the the manager's daughter or whatever it was like takes the the gun that goes over her head you know what was it it was like 95 um like you can get away with it because the character is so strange crash davis had to look like he knew what he was doing both yeah. as a hitter and a catcher tim robbins you had a little more wiggle room by the way uh, I did the math. I was watching Boulder the other day, and um, they say he walked 18, he struck out 18, and he hit uh, the bull, two sports writers, and I forget who the fourth person was. That means in his professional debut, Ebby Nuke Lelouch threw no fewer, if he got everyone else out on one pitch. Uh, or like those were the only hitter, the only, I'm sorry, those were the only batters he threw to. He threw no fewer than 130 pitches in his professional debut. More was likely, more? that was if every one of those, you know, walks was four, that's what I mean. Every one of those walks was four pitches. Every one of the strikeouts were three pitches. He hit the other four people, uh, you know, on those four pitches and didn't do anything else. It's like 130 pitches. Presumably, he threw about 200 pitches in that game. Well, I mean, this was, though, it's important to remember pre-analytics, pre-pitch yes. counts. Like, Baseball I mean, like back was th- very different back, back then. Back then, I mean, they would let you throw 200 innings if you're up for it. But, I did, but no, 200 pitches in one game. 200 pitches, I'm sorry. Right. But I just, I was, I, I, I actually paused when they went through, because I've seen Bull Durham a, a thousand times, and like the, the lines are great, and, you know, lollygaggers and all this. And I, 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 I'd heard that, obviously. Struck out 18, walk a uh, league record, walked 18, also a league record, and and doing all this stuff. And I was like, wait a minute. How many pitches is that? And it's a lot. It's a lot of pitches. I yes, don't think is. that would have happened today. No, um, no. Again, it's a, it's just a different game. Yeah. Um so yeah, but that question of how much I mean, it just, matters. Just, just is the way they're trying to cut down on mound visits, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> 
<laughs> that game, that game, even though presumably was not televised, uh, took a while. Other good candidates, uh, Mark Wahlberg, or I'm sorry, yeah. Donnie Wahlberg. Um, no, Mark, no, Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg, not Donnie. Not Donnie. Not Donnie. Mark. Uh, Jamie Foxx. You could put, yeah. To, yeah, you know, yeah. especially if you get to like Ali, Bundini Brown, like he wasn't, he was playing a sports person. Uh, I guess like, well, yeah, but then again, we're not uh, qualifying real people. Uh, Sandler, not my favorite movies, but Sandler. No, he is a, he is a sports movie presence. That yes. is for sure. And, uh, De Niro, I think you could throw in there too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's, um, let's skip to, let's go to the top 10. Let's go. Cause you know, we, we've touched on a lot at this point, you know, into the, 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 the thirties and twenties and whatever. So here's the top 10. Number 10, major league. Number nine, when we were Kings. Number eight, OJ made in America. Number seven, Breaking Away. Number six, Big Lebowski. Number five, Miracle. Number four, Bull Durham. Number three, Hoop Dreams. Number two, Raging Bull. Number one, Rocky. Um, any major issues, things that stuck out when you when you saw this uh, kind of laid out this way? No. Um, I'm good with the list. I mean, there there's some swapping I, I might do if I were completely, you know, playing puppet master and in charge of this right. whole thing. But ultimately, you have, I think, 10 worthy movies in there and 10 movies that I understand how they're in there. Even even if, say, I would, again, maybe swap in a few in and out. Right. I mean, I don't know if I'd have Miracle quite that high, but it, I, very few movies have ever surprised me more than Miracle did. Miracle's really I was good. shocked when I saw I was expecting something just like sort of schmaltzy and whatever. It is a fantastic movie. Miracle is really good. Kurt Russell is really So I, I love a problem with it. Like my problems with, I'll ask you this, because we had this question sort of what makes a sports movie. I, I've already said, I don't think Big Lebowski is a sports movie. I'm not even sure OJ Made in America is a sports movie, a sports documentary in this case. But I don't. I mean, it's about a guy who played sports who did something else. But there's not really any. The only reason that's a sports movie is because OJ Simpson was a sports guy. Yeah, but at the same time, though, a lot of what led OJ and allowed OJ to reach a point where, you know, if if you're a cynic, Brian, you believe that he got away with killing two people. Allegedly, it, it is because of the lead up from sports. No, I understand, and, and, and that's and, true. And the and the insulate the insulation that OJ began building, for, you know, for the insulation from accountability, the insulation from ever, you know, having reality checks, and, and, and from people ever being able to put him in check in ways that would have benefited him. Mm -hmm. And then you know the ability to get away with you know many times beating Nicole uh Nicole Simpson and, you know while they were married and then you know again down the oh, stretch I'm not, I, yeah I'm not I, I'm not I'm but not I also think to, I think it's a movie in a lot of were, ways But if you were if you were a child pop star you could a lot of that same stuff. I, mean, I, I get why it's in right, there. It's but, a, but it's he a, wasn't right. But it's it's about OJ Simpson. I, I understand why it's in there. The, the um, lens, though, the grand the lens created by sports, argument. though, right? But the the there's a lot in that movie that is created through the lens of sports, and that's really where a lot of this began. You are correct that you know he could have been a child actor. Rock, no, but, know, he, but he wasn't. I mostly wasn't. Andy. All I'm saying is, is like I'm trying to get Lucas back on the list for you. <laughs> and like, and you can make an argument that Lucas is fundamentally more a movie about sports than than this is. It's fun. I mean, OJ Made in America is a stunningly good documentary. Yes, that's oh, not yeah. that's not my point. I'm not saying it's not worthy 
of inclusion, you know, and, and I like in sort of big picture terms here, like, of course, it's going to be on this list. I just, you know, when you think about what makes a movie a sports movie and this and that and whatever, this is one that actually stuck out to me. I was like, Big Lebowski, I've heard this argument a thousand times. It's not a sports movie. Fine. I don't care. It's so good. I love talking about it. I'm, I'm fine with it being on the list. I'm like, you know, you could almost make the same argument about OJ. It's at the very least, it's worth putting out there. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, at me if you're really offended by it. But I, I was just sort of surprised. Uh, you know, I, 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 I wanted Lucas out there, so I was trying to help you out. I, I'm honestly not surprised that that it made the top oh, 10. Oh, I, I would have been shocked if it didn't. I'm just saying, in my head, I was thinking like, you know, wait a minute. As we, as we dive into this idea of what a sports movie is and what constitutes a sports movie, this was one of those where I was like, huh. I mean, you think you, about it, does it qualify? Is this something that popped in my I mean, head? look, at the, at the end of the day, what happened with O.J. Simpson is you could argue the biggest sports story of like right. the last 30 years. Okay. All right. Eh, maybe I didn't think of this through. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from me? Um, you know, these are the things you have to wrestle with ideas, Andy, uh, in this world. And I did, and I apparently lost. So <laughs> You got pinned. I got pinned. Um, all right. So let's get to number one, Rocky. Um, I think most people would not argue this point. No. I mean, at the very least, like if you did a a power ranking of movies, like nobody's going to have Rocky out of, out of sports movies. Maybe you have something else at number one. Maybe you you prefer Breaking Away. Maybe you think Hoop Dreams is better, Raging Bull, whatever. May nobody's got Rocky outside their top five. I would be nobody. Stunned. Nobody. I mean, I I would say quite frankly, you're doing this list. Right? Wrong. Nobody credible would. Ha you cannot credibly make this list. It's like saying, do I think LeBron is better than Kareem or MJ or whatever? Okay, fine. You can have this discussion. If you're leaving any one of those three out of your top five, you're clearly doing it wrong. And that's what Rocky is. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the, I think the most indelible sports movie ever. I think in a lot of ways it changed the future of sports movies because it was, su it was such a big hit. And at the time, there were not that many big hits among sports movies. According to IMDb, it's the 10th highest grossing sports movie ever domestically, 117 million. But that's in 1976 dollars. Right. And and all the movies ahead of it on IMDb's list, they're much more current. They're either late 90s or or even more recent or they're rocky sequels. And according to filmsite.org, which is run by AMC, adjusted for inflation up to March 2020, Rocky is the highest grossing sports movie ever, and it is the 86th highest grossing movie ever. It's the first sports film to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. And, you know, without having done heavy research on this, Brian, I cannot imagine that this did not open the door for more sports movies. And like, you know, when you, well, I think when it you did. Look, I don't think there's any question. When you look at the list of movies on the athletics list, you know, that came before Rocky versus after. And, you know, there is going to be a recency bias to some degree and, you know, what resonates internally among the athletic voters for whatever reason. But there's way more movies post Rocky, I think in large part because there's way more choices past Rocky. Like Rocky really changed the game. I well, think, yeah, in terms it's, it's of sports interesting movies. thing. I'm trying to think of the formula because, you know, like it, Die Hard, for example, spawned, you know, two decades worth at least of 
diehard movies that were just set differently. You know, Speed is diehard in a bus. Under uh, Siege. Diehard in a submarine. <laughs> it's like, you know, there, there's just, there are a million of these things. And a lot of them are really good, but they're kind of derivatives of this, you know. Um, formula. Yeah, the formula. The, what do you call like the starter for a sourdough that just, they, they use the same one for a hundred years. Rocky's kind of like that. I'm just trying to go back in my head, like movies before 76, did they, did they follow the same formula? You know, Karate Kid follows the Rocky formula. Um, you know, T- Tim Cup, Bull Durham, like have elements of Rocky in them. Um, and that's the story of the character and all that. It's not told exactly the same way, but they have some similarities. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I think the thing that often gets lost with Rocky because Stallone himself became kind of such a parody is how stunningly good the writing of this movie is, and Stallone wrote it, and how good the acting is. And we're not used to talking about Sylvester Stallone in the context of exquisite acting. And that's what this was, like, and, and, and surrounded by great performances in support of that. Uh, Talia Shire is fantastic, and Burt Young is fantastic, and um, Carl Weathers is fantastic. Everyone is great in this movie. Um, and that's why it won. I mean, it deserved to win. The score is fantastic. And it's Bill Conti, correct? Yes. Um, like everything about everything about this movie is fantastic. But also too, Brian, just the, the character of Rocky. Mm-hmm. And the, I think one of the most interesting things about Rocky and, and one of the most, you know, people talk about, you know, the most brilliant plot point is that he loses at the end. Because they didn't want to, make, you know, he didn't want to make it too unrealistic. They they left that to a lot of the sequels, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, being completely they, unrealistic they and clearly, cartoonish. They clearly got over that. At some right. point. But you know, I think Stallone recognized that it would have been cheesy for him to beat Apollo, and he and, ends be, up, and not the point, right? And he ends up setting that goal of going the distance, mm-hmm. and he wills himself to going the distance. But I think another really brilliant part of Rocky that doesn't get talked about a lot is actually from that same scene, and it's right before Rocky states the goal of going the distance. And listen to this. I can't beat him. Apollo? Yeah. I've been out there walking around, thinking. I mean, who am I kidding? I ain't even in the guy's league. What are we going to do? I don't know. You work so hard. Yeah, it don't matter. Because I was nobody before. So what I think, Brian, is just so amazing about it and, and the, the awareness that Stallone had in creating this character is just how much fear and insecurity is being exhibited by Rocky in that moment. Like, it's not even just about thinking he can't beat Apollo, that he's, he's going to lose. He's thinking, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Like, I'm a novelty act. I'm a gimmick. And remember in the scene before, he had been inside the spectrum trying to clear his head. And he notices that the artwork has his portrait wrong. They've mixed up his trunks colors. And the promoter doesn't care. You know, he says it's going to be a great show either way. And it like it reinforces Rocky's fear and knowledge that, that he has no business being in this fight. He knew it from the beginning because if you remember... He initially turned it down. And, you know, most sports movies, the athletes at their center, they believe in their inner greatness 
um, but just don't know how to really get there or they don't know how to get their chance or, or they've been great before and they've squandered it and they're trying to figure out how to bounce back. Like Rocky never believed in himself to begin with. No. Like he never thought he was talented to begin with. He's basically a boxer. That's his second gig. His first gig is a leg breaker. You know, right. he's an enforcer for a loan he, shot. He, is, he thinks of himself as a, a, a sparring partner, a guy you go to when you need a lefty, you know, all this other stuff. And not somebody of this caliber. Um, and he's not supposed to be, by the way. The whole point is that he's not, he's not supposed to actually push Apollo. Apollo didn't pick him because he was looking for a good fight. No, he picked him as a gimmick. Right. And His name was the Italian Stallion. If he hadn't been the Italian Stallion, he wouldn't have been picked. But it's like you would have been, you know, plays on the racial stuff. Like there's, it's like, and it's a brilliant pick coming from, you know, the movies in a lot of ways is sort of ahead of its time in the sense that the guy manipulating and pulling the strings and, and coming up with this marketing thing and recognizing black versus white and Italian versus is, is the black guy. Um, it's not you know, the, the, the white guy is taking advantage. Like it's the black guy who's doing all this stuff that, that sets these things in motion. Um, which is, I think another interesting part about this script is, is the, the power that Apollo wields in making all of these things happen and marketing and, and being the, and, and, and being the, the, the center of, of arranging all of these things. And obviously it doesn't work the way he expected it to, but Stallone's character, like you say, has so little self-esteem. And I think what makes that relationship with Adrian so important in the movie is that's part of what gets him to a place where he can go and do the fight. Yeah. Um, you know, the love interest in this movie isn't just the main character needs a girlfriend. It's the main character needs a person who can show him that he's worthy of this opportunity. And vice versa. I mean, mm -hmm. Rocky's the first person that ever makes Adrian feel like, you know, she's really a woman. Get out of that house. Right. That she's an adult woman who's a, attractive and would, you know, bring something to the table for a man. I mean, they're, they're a really perfect match. And also, too, I mean, I think Rocky resonates just because everybody knows the story of how Stallone turned down a ton of money from United Artists on the, in the insistence that he would play Rocky. Despite mm -hmm. being really unknown, like he, the studio wanted, they suggested Robert Redford, they suggested James Caan, Burt Reynolds, Ryan O'Neill. I love you know, Robert Redford. That would not have worked. Look, the, all, these, all these guys are, they're talented actors. And at the time they were, you know, box office stars, but it fundamentally changes the movie. And, and you know, in a, in a lot of ways, like I was talking about earlier with Mickey Rourke and The Wrestler, like Stallone's actual story mirroring what was going on with Rocky. You know, the tagline for Rocky was his entire life was a one in a million shot. Like that's Stallone in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's, just, it's, it's, I, I love, I love Rocky. It's yeah. so good. Um, it's really quick, a bit of trivia that I, I discovered in doing some research about all this. All right, go ahead. Sylvester, according to IMDb, Sylvester St Stallone was so poor prior to filming Rocky he had to sell his dog for $50. A week later, he sold the script for Rocky and bought the dog back. Rocky's dog, Butkus, was the same dog. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. That did he have fantastic. to buy him back at a loss or was he able to buy it back for $50? IMDb was not that specific. <laughs> Good to know. 
That, that's a great story. That is a really great story. I love that. I love Buckus. Was that it? Was that the, yeah, oh, the only bit the of story? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure if there was more like in a string, no. if this was part of a string of trivia. Actually, okay, just one, one other piece. thing. Okay, um, I'll take it. This had not been updated past 2019, so I don't know if it's still currently the case, but uh, the turtles that he had, Cuff and Link, still alive. I believe that. Turtles yes. live for a very long time. Yes. Um, hundreds of years if you're a tortoise, I think. Maybe so that's all the pet trivia I have. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. You <laughs> understand, rocking. you understand like I, why I might've been expecting like a string of three or four little bits of trivia. I thought those were very good. I just was, I, I was prepared for more. Um, all right. So that's Rocky. That's number one. Uh, no shock there that Rocky is the top ranked, uh, sports movie of all time here on the athletic 100. Um, all right. So gr- again, great package of stuff coming out this week. Um, really appreciate everybody listening to, uh, this show, um, obviously not our normal Lakers broadcast, so we really appreciate it. Um, check out all the stuff on the site all week long and dive as deep as you can into the athletic top 100 sports movies of all time. Thanks for listening. 